welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. As we do every week, we talk to the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, officially the regent of redstate.com, because right. watch his Chiron, Andrew Malcolm at AH Malcolm. <laughs> Live from the hot air hot tub, it's Ed Morrissey. You know, you can't see below here. This is actually a it's actually a swimsuit, and below here you can't see. No, yeah, see. this is photoshopped hot tub. Photoshop hot tub, hot tub time machine. <laughs> but he does have a hot tub, folks. I do. I do have a hot tub. I have a hot tub now. I'm not using it often enough. <laughs> we have to work that out. Oh man, we, I gotta figure. I gotta figure that to, one out. I have to do a hot air hot tub show. Now there with, you go. We can with figure a whole, that with out. a whole bunch of friends in the tub. And, wait a minute, hot air hot tub hotties. You'd have to run that one by the first mate, actually. I'm pretty sure she's going sure to exercise a veto on that, Andrew. I'm just going to guess. So now that we've got all that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about this week. We got two major stories, right, over the past week. We can talk a little bit about the media reaction to both. But, I mean, the stories themselves are interesting, too. First off, Ron DeSantis got in a race. That happened yeah. since, um, since you and I last talked. And we've seen some of the way that this is playing out online, some of the way it's playing out in media. Um, and um, let's start there. Let's start with the DeSantis Trump contest. I mean, it's, it, I mean, to me, this is sort of like the official start of the, of the season. Yeah. I know Trump announced six months ago that he yeah. was running for president. We've had other people jump in, but Ron DeSantis was always sort of the, the sort of Damocles hanging over this whole thing. We all, right. I mean, I knew he was getting in. But until he actually got in, it, I mean, it was still sort of all preliminaries. Now he's in, and he's actually being pretty aggressive and going and pushing back against uh, attacks from uh, from Trump. I don't know if you've seen the never back if you're getting the never back down emails that are coming yeah. in about three or four a day now. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, they're, they're they're not backing down. In fact, I got to read this one because I just got it not too long ago. And the, the subject on this is Trump caves with an exclamation point, right? <laughs> Continuing its assault on the facts, the lie factory known as Trump's MAGA incorporated PAC falsely claimed that Ron DeSantis voted against funding Trump's border wall when he was in Congress. The, the truth is that DeSantis was one of the biggest supporter, supporters of a border wall, voted many times to fund it, and that the vote cited by Trump's PAC was on a massive $1.3 trillion omnibus spending bill that Trump himself trashed and threatened to veto. The kicker, Trump gave to Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, and the swamp when he signed that bill in 2018 over the objections of Jim Jordan, Rush Limbaugh, Laura Ingram, and Ron DeSantis. Trump then said he was forced to sign it, but the truth is he could have stood strong and stood up to the establishment. He didn't admit it later that same year that he got played and didn't get his wall funding. <laughs> now, yeah, well, that's you know, that's what it's going to take. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm amused because first off, all of that is true. I remember when that whole thing happened at the time and he went back and forth. Oh, I'll sign it. Oh, I don't want to sign it. Oh, I'll sign it. I don't want to sign it. And ends up signing it and complains that he signed it. Um, yeah. And then said never again, which is also not true. And um, so, I mean, DeSantis, I mean, I, I think that DeSantis is finding some sort of middle ground between don't attack Trump at all and attack your, attack your competitors. And 
attack Trump on the margins, but don't get into a frontal battle with him. I think he's just decided that <laughs> the hell with both of those ideas and that he understands that Trump is his main competition, maybe better than the rest of the people in the race do, and that he's going to have to answer each and every one of the things that come up and answer it forcefully and robustly. Um, and that's really a primary, right? I mean, isn't that what a primary is yeah, supposed to be about? That's what it is. And we said when Trump announced that um, he was going to have to compete, that this would not be a coronation um, just because he was the president before. So he's competing um, and he'll probably compete the way he always does. Um, and DeSantis is in. He had a, a, a glitch at the start. But, you know, <clears throat> I know he didn't plan the glitch on Twitter. And I know he didn't plan to get his poll numbers down because he was busy being a governor while Trump attacked him. But that's actually the best place to be, you know? Yeah. To, yeah. If he'd come on strong and everybody goes, oh, my gosh, wow, look at this guy. He's going to win it for sure. Then every bad day is a bad, terrible day. But he comes on, everybody goes, oh, you know, he, I don't think he can do it. It's really hard. He had a bad start. And then he just shows his stuff over time. And that, that's what the column was about on Sunday, was how he's going to have to construct his own base. Uh, Trump has a base. It's not as big as it used to be, but it's pretty solid base, 30, maybe 40 percent of the primary, never a majority. Um, and DeSantis has to um, tempt some of them away and build his new his own new base among independents and, and Democrats who are tired of, of, of who can vote in the Republican primary, um, like in New Hampshire. So it's um, it come from behind. At, that's the all-American story that all Americans love, the underdog. And uh, to me, that's that's the best place to be. You know, and I think it also still clarifies that Trump, I mean, there's a reason why Trump is sort of the front runner here is because he was president, right? Yeah, and he so is the front, yeah, he's the front runner. There's no doubt right. about it. He was the president and he's now running on his record. And in 2015, he was just running as the nihilist, right? And, you know, you see a lot of the stuff online. I was talking with Hillary about this just a little bit this morning. All this kind of smearing of, of, um, DeSantis, DeSantis's wife. I mean, you've got some of Trump's surrogates or pseudo surrogates. I mean, Laura Loomer is not part, not an official part of the campaign, but they they were going to hire her at one point. Uh, going on about how Casey DeSantis might be somebody who exaggerated her cancer for political purposes, which is just, you know, I get flashbacks to 2015 where they're just doing personal attacks and smears and not just on other candidates, but on people who supported the other candidates. And their families of other and candidates. Yeah. Ted yeah, Cruz's I mean, dad. And... Well, Ted Cruz's wife, too. Yeah. Well, and Ted Cruz was one of the guys who was trying to sort of jolly up to Trump. That was his strategy in 2015, was to sort of jolly up to Trump in the hopes that when Trump flamed out, he could he could inherit Trump's um, right. Right. supporters. But I mean, that was that turned out to be a fool's errand. And you know, Ted Cruz isn't running for president this year. And I suspect that that might be one of the reasons why. Um, but, um, you know, this to me, 
what what never back down is doing is is the right thing to do is to well it's never think, backing down right <laughs> yeah never, never backing down yeah i mean I, and i think that that is they're going to answer punch for punch and the question is is does trump have a glass jaw he's never really run against somebody well let me put it this way i mean he was going after hillary clinton hillary clinton was going after him and then going after his supporters which was a mistake on her part it was a huge mistake she should have just focused on him and um, and it probably cost her the election that and the fact that she didn't organize her campaign worth a damn. I mean, if you don't show up in Wisconsin yeah. for three months in the general election, you're an idiot who deserves to lose. And Hillary Clinton was an idiot who deserved to lose. Um, but um, I mean, that brings me to the other point about this. But I, I'm, I'm going to come up to another point about the, the styles of campaign, not just the argumentation. Uh, but I mean. Right now, I think DeSantis is sort of forcing the policy arguments. Today, Trump came out and said, on day one, I'm going to issue an EO. Yeah. Right? That will end birthright citizenship. <laughs> well, that sounded familiar to the DeSantis campaign, which pointed yeah. out he made the, made the same promise in 2015, 2016, 2018, 2019, and 2020, and never did it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. And See, that's, that's the punching back that's... Um, I think effective. It's more. It's it's much more effective than calling names and going after family and all of that because uh, people look at that and they go, "Yeah, you know, that's right. That that, yeah, yeah." And pointing out that he didn't do everything he said he'd do. He did a lot of what he promised to do, but he didn't do that. And when he claims he's going to do it this time, you got to call him out. Well, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is it can't be done that way. And that's the reason why he didn't do it the first time around. He did. I, I mean, I'm sure people in the white house were telling him <laughs> it's not going to work. And you're risking having a court decision that might make the situation worse by explicitly setting a precedent that, that this is that birthright citizenship is untouchable. Uh, there's already some precedent to that in the court. And I think his advisors were saying, you really don't want to press this you might want to leave your your you know congressional options open on this at least for the time being um and and that's still the case but the but the other thing that this does and this is the reason why it's going to be a little bit different for trump this time around in 2015 and 2016 he could throw things out like that i'm going to do this and i'm going to do right. that. and even if it wasn't even if it wasn't something that was strictly possible, like for instance, changing birthright citizenship through an executive order, which is, it's, it, it's not going to be done. It can't be done. It's the reason why it didn't happen in the first four years. Well, with, with Trump's four years, assuming that they were the first four years. Um, but the other problem that he's got now is running against his own record. And right. I think that they haven't really grasped that yet. That's you know, a it's good point. Early. It's still early days, right? I mean, they're gonna, they're a little out of shape, I think is what the issue is. They tried to coast on, on, on 2020 on, on the four years that he had um, a little bit. They And it was easy to, they didn't have a primary in that, so they didn't tune up. Um, Joe Biden was playing rope-a-dope, so they didn't really get a chance to sharpen themselves up. And DeSantis may offer an opportunity for them to sharpen up. But this is the point that I don't think they've grasped, is that, in 2015, he was running without a record. In 2023, there's a four-year record of what Trump yeah. didn't do. 
as president. So every time he comes up with these wild things, the first thing that's going to come out of DeSantis and hopefully the other candidates who might start thinking about competing against Donald Trump in this in this race is going to say, why didn't you do it the first four years? Why was why didn't that get done? Why did you, especially if it's something you already promised to do? Um, so the wild ass promise thing is, I think, a trap for them. And it sets up an automatic narrative of failure in the first four years. And that's not what he wants. I mean, no, Trump should really be not. emphasizing, I did this and I did that. And I ran a national economy. It was the strongest national economy that we'd had in a generation, which I think is a, a pretty good argument for reelection. But he's not doing that. You know, he's kind of running against himself as well as against Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Um, uh, at the same time that he's making up stupid nicknames, which is unfortunately a an immaturity amongst him and his supporters that they've never outgrown. Um, but that to me is a real that's a that's a real trap for him. And I don't know that they're going to figure that out very soon. They haven't figured it out yet. That's a very astute point. Ed. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and they haven't. Uh, but I think they're going to need to. Um it's not looking like the other candidates are going to come on against him. I don't know if they're afraid or if they're angling for a spot on the ticket or a job in his administration, but I, uh, I, I think they're counting their, what are they counting? They're counting their chickens before they hatch um, in terms of working for Trump again. Um, Cause the, yeah, that's, that's that's a bridge too far, I'm afraid. Um, but uh, well, DeSantis, to my mind, as I and I come back to what I said before, um, he's running hard the way he is, but he's running at his own pace. He's figured it out what he wants to do, and he's doing it. And you can get uh, campaign. I wrote last week in the column that. The best day of any campaign is the day you announce. After that, everything's downhill. And I'm serious. And yeah, yeah. after that, everything is downhill. And your goal is to not be at the bottom when the campaign ends. Your is to slow, slow the decline. Um, and uh, so I, I think the Sanders is in a good place. He has a lot of time. I don't know if it's enough time to build what. 48% vote or something to, to outdo Trump. Um, I mean, that brings me to, that brings me to the other point though, too, which, you know, the New York times, the day that DeSantis announced um, revealed that the never back down pack thinks that they have 200 million in combined resources between Ron DeSantis's campaign hall, you know, for, so for the campaign yeah. itself and, and their, and their pack, they've got $200 million worth of resources and between them, they're going to spend that 200 million. And I'm not exactly sure. This may be a pack that it's not a super pack, I don't think. So I think they can coordinate with the campaign. And between them, what the plan is, is to roll out a massive ground organization, right? Um, with up to 2,600 people that they hire, <laughs> right? To be on the ground. They're going to knock on every door. In, in the battleground states four times before in, before each primary and in Iowa, it's going to be five times. And I find this interesting because 
it's a real contrast to, to the way that Trump has set up his campaigns traditionally. You know, in 2016, the RNC really had to kind of ride to his rescue after he won the primary uh, because he didn't have a ground organization, really. Right, right. And he didn't even really believe in a ground organization. So the RNC, which had build, been building up the Republican Leadership Initiative, which, you know, I describe in my book, Going Red. Uh, yeah, that's a very good book. People uh, should still buy it. I, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I think it's going to actually come into play here. Um the RNC kind of had to rescue, I don't want to say rescue, but I think that what they decided, the Trump campaign decided they're going to focus on 30,000 foot messaging and Donald Trump's rallies and a lot of earned media, which they got. I mean, it worked. Um, so the RNC did all the heavy lifting on the ground thing. Four years later, when he ran for re-election, the RNC just merged that into Trump's campaign, but kept control of it themselves. Um, and that was... In 2019, early 2019, they decided to do that just to make sure that there was a ground game. Well, now it's 2023. The RNC is on the sidelines here. They still have that RLI, by the way, but they're on the sidelines um, because it's a competitive primary. So they can't jump in on Donald Trump's behalf and rescue him. And I don't think that Donald Trump and his campaign are still organized to do that type of a ground game. And Ron DeSantis has the is the only other candidate in this campaign that's got that those resources to do something like this, especially in multiple states. Yeah. So, and I've been talking about this now for a few days. I wrote about it on Friday. And it's really going to set up a, a choice for primary voters. Do you go with the guy who's got the celebrity and the and the and the one term behind him and the ability to still grab some earned media. He doesn't get it like he used to, but he still gets some. Or do you go with the guy who's organized, not just for a primary campaign, but of course, all of this is then turnkey for a general election campaign if DeSantis is the nominee. And yeah. it disappears if he's not, because it's his organization, not the RNC's. Um, so I think that's one one way that 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 sets that up. But the other thing is that that type of organization matters when it comes to oh, voter yeah. turnout. And Absolutely. especially in terms of caucus states, it matters greatly. And of course, Iowa is the first caucus state. Um, and he should have an advantage. Now, if he doesn't, <laughs> if he doesn't cash in on it, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. But assuming he's got that organization in place and is, and is doing it right. And this is the, this is the key part for me. If he's using it properly that really could make him unstoppable. And it's the difference between a Barack Obama campaign and what Trump and the RNC were trying to do in 2020, which is you can set these things up to do all the mechanics of voter turnout. And there's value in that. You know, there really is. Regardless of how else you use it, that is valuable. It's not enough. Barack Obama used it to have a bi-directional communication with these, with these communities so that they could contextualize his agenda into local issues. So they made all of these things local elections, not right. national elections, but local elections based on local need. And that was the thing that I discovered to my surprise when I was researching Going Red. People on the ground knew it. They'd be they, Anybody who asked, they were happy to tell you this is what he actually did. It wasn't just that he had a Facebook page. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was a much broader, deeper, more intense operation. So if the DeSantis team is going to do something like that, 
I mean, this really could be unstoppable and um, it could easily get him two terms the way that Barack Obama did because Joe Biden isn't going to build that kind of a thing. And Joe Biden's yeah. not the kind of candidate who would benefit from it. He's not listening to anybody. And, He's still and who talking would? about corn pop. I mean, who would, who would invest themselves and money in Joe Biden? I, yeah. I mean, he doesn't, He's not aware what day of the week it is. Um, you know what you what what you described um, Obama doing is very Chicago. Uh, yeah. I used to, I used to write about their precinct captains. They were just they were amazing, and he would mobilize them, and they would come around to all the people, not all the people, but a lot of the people in their precincts, and remind them. Remember what we did for you last fall, last summer, and um, also there was a little muscle in there because if you were opposed to Mayor Daley, the cars in front of your office would often get towed. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I'm serious. I have a friend. Oh, I know. A I know. Our friend who has a lawyer, and he was on the city council. He was a maverick, and he got he uh, Chicago politics. In fact, that very man told me. Uh, one time, so long time ago, but he said, "No, oh, I've started. Uh, I've started jogging to get some exercise." Um, but I don't. I don't really. He's a Chicago Paul now, right? He said, "But I don't really like it." And I said, "Why not, Marty?" And he said, "You can't knock anybody down." <laughs> so, so what Obama did is very uh, Chicago. It works. Um, It'll be fascinating to see. Trump is not a detail guy, um, and I don't think he values it. Uh, people in his team may, but I'm I'm sure they get shut up pretty quickly. Uh, DeSantis is on his way, if not this minute, uh, very soon to Iowa, um, and um, with his wife. And uh, uh, remember, Donald Trump did not win the Iowa caucuses. Uh, yeah. He didn't. He didn't have the ground organization. Ted Cruz had a better one than he did. Uh, and when Trump got to New Hampshire, he won on the basis of fame. However, the other candidates got sixty-two percent, and he got thirty-five. And yeah. when they and when they got to South Carolina, uh, Rubio and Cruz, they got forty-five percent, and Trump won the delegates because of the setup of the system by a uh, 32 and a half percent. So um, Trump wins with a plurality. And that's why he's he's hoping, I don't know if he's praying or not, but that's why he's eager to get as many other Republicans in the race as he can. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. Um, but But I think that this is the first time I mean, Ted Cruz had a good organization in Iowa, and that was about it. I mean, Ted Cruz had some money behind him, but it wasn't a whole lot of money. Um, and that was 2015 when Trump was a real novelty. And for that matter, Cruz was too. I mean, on a national basis, Cruz was still coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, but DeSantis has been around a while. He knows what he's doing. And this, I don't, if, if DeSantis is building that kind of an organization, especially one with the bi-directional communication and the contextualizing of an agenda for each of these local communities in which they're, in which they're operating. Uh, Trump has never run against anybody like that. Hillary Clinton didn't have that kind of organization. Hillary Clinton had a, 
another top-down celebrity. It was another top-down celebrity candidate campaign. It was very similar in that respect, or at least the approach was very similar to Donald Trump's, which was that I'm Hillary Clinton. And all of the Clinton Foundation stuff where she had carried, you know, campaign organizers for years um, by hiring them as part of this, you know, nonprofit. All that did was just, it was more top down stuff. It wasn't bottom up stuff the way that Barack Obama did, which is the reason why Obama beat Hillary Clinton in 2008. It's because that's right. And she never really explained why she wanted to be president. The assumption was because her husband was, and she'd be the first woman. And it just seemed like her natural order of things, but she couldn't really explain it. And yeah, then she got her. caught. Remember, she got caught planting questions at an Iowa town hall. Yeah, I, I wrote that story. I, I, I love that story. Is the, the naive person in the audience. Uh, she had a question. But then when CNN went to ask her, she said, oh, well, they told me to drop that question and ask this one. <laughs> oh, so Hillary could go on about her foreign affairs experience. And then uh, it turned out. There were a lot of planted questions. Um, It's, uh, you know, those those kinds of questions do get planted, but they get planted smarter, (laughs) smarter than that. Yeah. Yeah. One might even say that process was rigged. Uh (laughs) Oh, (laughs) so anyway, I mean, it's going to be interesting. But but one of the things that people should remember is if you're going to have this type of dynamic in terms of campaign strategies and styles, this type of you know competition, the the ground game dynamic takes longer oh. to to see, but it's much more um, effective, effective, and it's much more resilient. Um, so that's something to keep in mind too. Don't look at the polls this month or next month or even after the first debate, which should be interesting. Um, take a look what the polls are doing sometime in October, November, December. And and you'll see, I think, that kind of ground game, if it deploys properly and they're using it right, is going to create a, a real massive swell of significantly enduring support for DeSantis. That's a key phrase, significantly enduring. And if Trump, no, I, he vowed what at one point he vowed, well, maybe I won't do the debate because he thinks it's all about him. That would be a big mistake. Well, big I think mistake. so too. I think so too. Um, because it, first off, it means that everybody can take pot shots at him. Uh, it's never a good idea. But it to- gives DeSantis the stage. It's, oh, it does. Yeah. He's counting on that, though. He's counting on that DeSantis would then be the target to hit, which is, there's something to be said for that. But the problem is, is if you're not showing up for the debates, it looks like you don't, it looks like you can't take it. And every single person on that stage is going to have an invested interest in in talking about how Trump couldn't summon up the testicular fortitude to show up on stage with them. And that's... Yeah. that's 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 not a that's not a good look. I don't care how you cut it. He did he he pulled that though once in uh, the 2016 cycle. I think it was with Fox after uh, Megyn Kelly uh, ripped him. Um, oh really? And, I don't remember that. Yeah. yeah, I think he I think he skipped one and ended up on CNN. He skipped another Fox debate and ended up on CNN that night. 
and and again, I think if you haven't been president, you can maybe get away with that once with the celebrity campaign. I don't think that that's a good strategy this time out, but no. we'll see. We'll see. Um, we should probably get to the deal just briefly. I don't think, you yeah. know, I, I think people are taking this too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I it's mean, a, it's, it's, a it's like a summer announced summer opening of a movie every two or three years. We have one of these confrontations and they get to speak to their audience in their base about how important it is and then they they both sides go off and do what they're going to do anyway it's it's theater it's uh, to my mind it's boring and it doesn't really matter uh but the media plays along with it so all the others even if you wanted to call them out you have to play along with oh how important this is and oh my goodness default and oh what would have happened to Granny Jenkins in Central Iowa you know I mean it's just it's pathetic. Yeah, yeah. you know it's a debt ceiling fight. This is not a re recasting of the budget. The budget's already passed. So the the real fight here was getting Joe Biden to actually negotiate. He spent ninety seven days refusing to negotiate with Kevin McCarthy. Um, even after the House passed a debt ceiling hike with spending cuts built into it. Um, and he passed it narrowly. It was by two votes, but he did get it through. And that changed the entire calculation because Chuck Schumer couldn't get anything through the Senate. So they had to negotiate on McCarthy's terms, but it's still a negotiation. I mean, House Republicans have a narrow majority in one chamber of Congress. Democrats have the other chamber and the White House concessions are going to have to be made to come to some sort of conclusion on that. But the debt ceiling isn't really the issue. It's the budgeting that's the issue. And McCarthy won a couple of points on that too, saying that uh, at least for this Congress, the next budget that comes out, if they don't get 12 separate spending bills, in other words, they don't do an omnibus, it has to be 12 separate spending bills, the traditional method of funding the government, then everything's off the table and every uh, every uh, department takes a 1% cut uh, until they pass until they pass things through presumably regular order which is what McCarthy's fighting for now that agreement applies that rule to this session of congress so it will apply to the next budget after that one session of congress can't bind another they'd have to adopt it as a rule at the beginning of the next session of congress might happen might not happen but at least you get one budget cycle where <laughs> Democrats have an incentive to um, to operate under regular order and stop with the omnibus bill stuff. Um, so, I mean, uh, these are incremental these are incremental yeah. little wins. But the whole fact that there was a negotiation in the first place is a win. But it's a debt ceiling bill. You're not going to fix the problem in a debt ceiling bill. Even no. the, even if you even if even if you got Biden to agree to just whatever the House had passed, which was never going to happen, it still wouldn't fix the problem. The same things that people are complaining about about today's deal this applies to the to the to the House bill too. It doesn't fix the problem. It yeah. still doesn't fix the problem because it's you can't fix that problem from this from from this particular um, statute. But at well, least uh, it's going the right I'm direction. Sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's a, I'm sorry for interrupting. One of the things I learned with my <clears throat> enforced time in Washington was that they don't always want to fix problems. 
<laughs> you know, we we sit out we sit out here in the country and we look at it and we go, oh, geez, why don't they just fix it? Well, they don't because one, it's a game; <laughs> they enjoy it. Why would we need them, or why would we need to donate to them if they didn't fight over the death penalty or the marriage penalty or the budget? Uh, the debt ceiling, and they have to have all these things to fight to show how hard they're fighting. And the reality is, I think you pointed this out in Going Red, that 80 or 90 percent of the of the Congress gets reelected. Uh, so people have a very short memory. The members, especially of the House, they know they're coming up again in two years. And in that time, people won't remember. Very few people will remember what you did or didn't do during this session. Uh, it's the familiarity of the name. Uh, it's, oh, I've got the seniority. You want the power, my powering on these committees and blah, blah, blah. So the whole thing is, <clears throat> is a game. It's a consequential game, but it is a game. And people need to factor that into how eagerly they follow or worry over these minute developments. Yeah. I mean... If you're expecting the problem to be fixed in a debt ceiling negotiation, <laughs> you got to be kidding me, man. I mean, or the, de- gotta, yeah. Yeah. or the debt ceiling to be fixed in a debt ceiling negotiation. They're, they're, they pass this down the road for two years and, you know, we'll be doing this again in two years. That'll be what, 15 years for us yet or 16? Jeez, I'm telling you, it's uh, it's it's like a blogger full employment act uh, that's... <laughs> yes 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 all yeah. right well all right so with that said we should probably get to the jokes of the day <laughs> because yeah. I, I think that's a great segue what do you got for me today andrew uh, i just got a couple of old ones uh um let's see jay leno uh he said uh President Obama says that the IRS targeting conservative groups is outrageous, and he's vowing to put his full top Benghazi investigators onto the case. <laughs> that um, do it. And uh, Meyer said um, a new study discovered that one in 10 Americans no longer carries cash with them. They're called English majors. uh and finally uh jimmy fallon says uh, starbucks has announced that anyone anyone at all can use its restrooms even if they don't buy anything then everyone was like cool so we'll just continue doing what we've been doing (laughs) (laughs) pretty much i mean so well no worries. That's right. That's right. All right. I got a couple for you. Okay. All right. Son asks his dad, Dad, did you go to church when you were little? Dad says, well, yes, son, every single Sunday. The son said, yeah, I thought so, but it won't do me any good either. <laughs> All right. And and one last one here. And by the way, these are from jokesoftheday.net. Um, I, I look around for different joke sites and I try to change it up a little bit, but this is from jokesoftheday.net. Over breakfast one morning, a woman said to her husband, I bet you don't know what this, what day this is. Of course I do, he said indignantly, getting up from the table and going out the door to the office. 
At 10 a.m., the doorbell rang. When the woman opened the door, she was handing a box containing a dozen long stem red roses. At 1 p.m., a foil-wrapped two-pound box of her favorite chocolate arrived. Later, a boutique delivered a designer dress, and the woman couldn't wait for her husband to get home. When he did, she exclaimed, first the flowers, then the chocolate, then the dress. I've never had a more wonderful groundhog day in my entire life. <laughs> so what's he going to do? What's he going <laughs> to what's he going to do for the real anniversary? Oops, oops, oops. Yeah. Mark your calendars, man. Yeah. That's what it'll save you uh, a lot of money in the long run. The uh, the polygamist uh, had so many wives that when he came home every day, he just automatically said, happy anniversary, dear. <laughs> well, that's one way of doing it. <laughs> got to be safe. Yeah, got to cover the bases. Got to cover the bases. And there is nobody better covering the bases <laughs> than the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm at A.H. Malcolm. Don't tell me I don't know how to stick the landing on these segues, Boy, man. you did. You did. That's with the tumble, tumble, twist, and then boom, the landing. Boom. Right there. <laughs> In the hot tub. In the hot tub. That's what we're doing. We're sticking splash, the landing. Splash. Without a splash. Without a splash, just, you know, I get a 10 on the uh, from every single That's day. right. It's uh, a 10. All right. Andrew Malcolm, another fun episode in, in the books. Can't in wait to do it again next week, sir. Okay, you bet. Thank you, Ed. Thanks, everybody. See you then. <laughs>